0: Welcome to Behind the Paranormal, with Paul and Ben Eno. Are UFOs seen just as frequently in populated areas as they are in the middle of nowhere? When they are seen over cities, why aren't there more reports? Why do some people seem to see UFOs in the same place at the same time, and others do not?
1: Well, hello there, and welcome to the 263rd broadcast of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and asking those questions was my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. So, uh, next month will be the 50th anniversary of the Betty and Barney Hill abduction incident in New Hampshire. No, oh, Exeter, New Hampshire. Exeter, right?
0: Yeah, well, just north of there, yeah.
1: Okay, well. Also, uh, we're looking forward to the third annual uh, Exeter UFO Festival on Labor Day weekend. But before we introduce our guest, it's time for our weekly paranormal contest.
0: Last week's question was, in what year and in what U.S. state did the Malmstrom Air Force Base UFO incident take place? Uh,
1: Pete Fontaine of Omaha, Nebraska got the answer. Montana, in 1967, the UFO seemed to be uh, checking out nuclear missiles. Oh, well, th- Doesn't that sound familiar? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, this week's question has two parts. Uh, where... And in what year did the, quote-unquote, Falcon Lake Encounter take place? So if you get that right, win a copy of my dad's book, Turning Home, God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny. If you uh, get the answer before the end of the show, uh, uh, if you want to call in and give the answer, actually, uh, or if you would like to talk with our guest today, call us uh, locally at 401-766-1240 or nationally at 800-449-1240.
0: Now to our guest, Steve Fermani is founder and director of the New England section of MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. His interest in UFOs began in the late 1960s at the age of 20 and expanded into a lifelong relationship with UFO phenomena. Starting as a MUFON field investigator in the early 1970s, Steve has held various positions of responsibility in the organization in Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Connecticut, Maine, and Vermont before founding the New England organization. He is also a past state director and director of investigations for the International Center for Aerial and Abduction Research. Steve has appeared on numerous local and regional television sh- and radio shows, newspapers, and has lectured widely. A past co-author of the monthly Aerial Space Phenomena Review... What? It says co-editor. All right, well, our co-editor, excuse me. Sorry. All right, Steve has sat on panels of UFO experts and is a member of the International Academy of Ufology. He lives in Leominster, Massachusetts, and is a co-organizer of the Exeter New Hampshire UFO Festival, which will take place, as Ben said, on Labor Day weekend, and is actually a charity event. Among Steve's websites, www.exeterufofestival.com.
1: Steve Romani, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal.
2: Well, thank you, guys.
1: Pleasure uh, to hear from you <laughs> uh, It's always a pleasure to have you on.
2: Yes.
0: Uh, once again, I just want to remind everyone of our call-in numbers today: of locally, 401 locally here, of course, and nationally, 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the USA.
1: Okay, so uh, let's kick off the questions really quick with. Uh, the big Steve uh, probably the biggest news you have for us uh, has to do with artifacts found from uh, the 1947 Roswell, New Mexico crash. So what's going on with that?
2: Uh yes, yeah, so well what seems to have happened is a uh, local Roswell science teacher, uh, high school level earth sciences teacher named uh, Frank Kimber, K I M B E R, as uh, set off on his own out to the areas where um he was all incident allegedly happened. Uh he took a metal detector and scoured the areas for quite a long time. And he came up with uh not major findings, but tiny fragments of uh what seems to be metallic objects. Um normally this wouldn't Attract much attention, but, uh, these fragments have been analyzed, and, and it is just the mysterious thing is that, uh, the, uh, organization that funded the, uh, testing was the uh, Roswell UFO Museum.
0: Uh huh.
2: And the result uh, according to this, uh, study, uh, the results claim that, uh, it seems were these
0: uh, fragments were not of terrestrial origin Okay. it's um, always been a question in my mind. Uh, what constitutes not being of terrestrial origin? In other words, you went to the moon and even Mars, and we find common elements and things like minerals and, and, and I mean, what, what was there? Can you tell us more about why they said it was not from Earth?
2: Um, uh, uh, because the, um... The, uh, composition. Okay. Yeah. Uh, composition, uh... Well, say so you have a meteorite. And you, uh... And you do you analyze the meteorite. Uh, you can tell that the, uh... The, you know, they... Most, uh... Scientists know what this... They, uh metals, or any, anything like that. Uh, they, they know what they're composed of, the elements, that they're composed of and what... Uh, fits. A lot of them are composed of the same elements, but it's the uh, the amount of certain elements
0: okay. yeah. that yeah. are
2: different on Earth than they are uh, from outer space. So that, that's how they can tell the difference.
0: Okay. But obviously, uh, you mentioned metallic fragments. Uh, these are artificially made, right? I'm not going to um, say man made.
2: All, no, all, all, uh, the only thing they can say, we, we can't step that far and say that. But uh, they, they it's supposedly, yeah, uh, not uh, elements that were made on Earth. Okay. You know, right. could, could it be something from. Uh, some type of other natural things out in space that is possible. But, uh, the, um, they looked at things further and said, well, we want to, we want to make sure. We want to make absolutely sure that this, that this, these test findings are true. But maybe, maybe there was a mistake at the, uh, at the lab But they did the testing. Yes. So the uh, Roswell UFO Museum is also funding a second uh, at this time they're funding a second analyzation of these uh, fragments and uh, so we're waiting for uh, develop results on that.
0: Okay. All right. Well that sounds interesting. Will we see any of these fragments at the Exeter Festival by any chance?
2: Uh, no, we won't. Okay. We won't, but if, you, if you go on to uh, Open Minds Radio yeah, Open Minds has an article on it, and they have uh, actually microscopic photographs of the uh, of the
0: element. Okay, well, you know the festival has uh, developed a lot, and maybe we can get the whole ship at some point. You know? So uh, Ben's got the next. Uh,
1: yeah, no, <laughs> oh, you never know, you never know. Uh, so, so the Southwest is still a hotbed of UFO sightings and uh, and abduction cases as well. So why do you think that is?
0: Yeah, why there as opposed to somewhere else?
2: Southwest?
0: Well, in other words, you know, why, why, the Southwest still seems to be the hotbed. I mean, New England has a lot of activity, too, but the Southwest just really... Uh, I mean, we are, I, I myself saw the Phoenix Lights from an airplane. Um, and it seems like there's always something going on down there. I mean, why is that such an active area? Ah.
2: Mexico, <laughs> that's, too. That's, that's, that's an extremely good question. But I, I, can tell you, I, 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 receive, um an unlimited flow of, uh, of UFO reports, uh, it's not like we're in a lot for, uh, receiving reports. Yeah. Here. So, uh, I mean, but it, 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 you, you always ask me every time when I'm gonna come on. Yeah. Is to, um, talk about some recent sightings. Mm-hmm. But it, it it also it always seems like it's just before Exeter and just after the Fourth of July. <laughs> yeah. And uh what the Fourth of July does to us it, it it creates I mean it it's almost like on right on time every year. From about two weeks before the fourth till about now. Mm-hmm. everybody starts reporting uh fourth.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that seems to be true.
2: Which usually end up being, I mean, just as famous as fireworks now as those Chinese plants. Yeah, that's right. And that and that's what happens to us every year, like clockwork.
0: Well, funny you should bring that up. I was uh, we we generally have a family reunion every year uh, in Connecticut,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and it's uh, it has up until this year it was actually on the Fourth of July. And one of the attendees, uh, was uh, he's retired now, but he was a uh, full colonel in the Air Force. And I have some military experience, too. So the two of us were standing there one year uh, at the side of a lake uh, uh, discussing learnedly what this weird light was across the lake. And it was in the sky, and uh, he was saying, oh, we have uh, landing lights you know, coming through the clouds there. And I was saying, well, it could be this. Turns out it was one of those Chinese lantern things.
2: It looks mysterious.
0: Yeah, and so, yeah. Especially
2: if you're traveling two, three, or four in a
0: line. Yeah, exactly. Talk about like having confidence in your Air Force. Yeah, exactly. So you just never know what you're looking at. So I'll, I'll give you back to Ben here.
1: Okay, um, so we're going. let's go back to New England. So how common are UFO sightings here as compared to the Southwest? Well,
2: I, I think we have just as many. Uh, I, I, I think... Um, Earlier on, uh, before New England moved on, uh, there were a loose-knit group of organizations in the six New England states, and they were run independently. But now that we've uh, organized all six states together, we we have, we have a regular flow. I, I mean, we've had, in the six states, we've had probably about exciting to put it just along really hmm?
0: yeah well, th- that's pretty spectacular maybe it has
1: something to do with the people I mean I, I like like in the southwest people are more open to talking about things like this, but maybe up here and everyone's just like I don't want everyone to think I'm crazy, so
0: yeah you know i've actually found that Steve uh, when i've spoken in California, for example, and I Ben and I pretty much concentrate on other areas of the paranormal, particularly ghost research, that sort of thing, and uh, people are much more open on the West Coast and in the Southwest uh, than they are here. I mean, people are interested here, but they're a lot more—they're a lot quieter about it. Do you find that?
2: Well, that, actually, I know what that feels like because when I, when I first started doing this over thirty years ago, I, I you know, uh, every time I mentioned it, people thought I was crazy.
0: Yeah. Oh, sure. So, sure.
2: So that that that. Changed a lot. Oh, yeah. Um, I, yeah. I, I, I think, you know, people are a lot more open even around here. I, I don't. Uh, more than criticizing people for believing in it now
3: mm-hmm.
2: around here, it's more like people just shut their mouth about it and they don't want to talk about it if they don't believe in it.
1: You know, no, exactly.
2: Rather than criticize.
1: All right, so we have a long history in here in New England. So. How far back do UFOs report, or UFO reports go?
2: There's okay. a photograph of a UFO back in the 1800s. Wow. Uh, it was taken by a, by an airship over New Hampshire. It looks, it looks almost like a wooden Noah's Ark.
0: What sky- is it about New Hampshire? It's
2: just such an old photograph, the quality of the photo. It looks like a lump of wood. Yeah. It's snow, but it's supposedly of a, an object in the sky.
0: I wasn't aware of that. That far back, yeah, that—that's so that, amazing. That's way back, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Now, well, I mentioned this to you yesterday when we spoke, and, and uh, so I, I'll just—I just want to mention it. You said you're not familiar with it, but one of the earliest cases we've encountered—if you could consider it any sort of—there I mean, were no UFOs seen that I'm aware of, but there were a lot of weird people involved. Uh, we've mentioned it on the show before. It was the League of Specters, as Cotton Mather called it. In 1692, up on Cape Ann in Massachusetts, and these uh, strange people seem to have arrived in the vicinity of this settlement. Of course, things are pretty still pretty rural in 1692, and the the the, the, uh, military types in the colony assumed these these were Frenchmen (laughs) because anybody who was you know uh, you couldn't identify must have been French, right? And right. a, a lot of wow. them were dressed in white, mm-hmm. and uh, they seemed to be uh, uh, impervious to any sort of attack or bullets or even uh, pointy, nasty, pointy weapons. They seemed to be, uh, they would get up and run away, you know, this sort of thing. It was, maybe, really... maybe it was
2: Scott Valet's early relative.
0: Yeah, well, perhaps... <laughs> But uh, in any case, uh, so we do have uh, sort of weird things going back that that far. And, of course, whether there were lights in the sky, I mean, nobody reported it as far as I'm aware. But I often wonder if this wasn't the genesis of some of the fear that led to the Salem witch hysteria. This this is about when it began. So who knows? But anyway, there are a lot of strange things in New England, including UFO cases way back. Now, I just just wanted to uh, mention that. So, Ben?
2: Well, that that is that is an interesting an interesting point. That you don't know how how one thing might be related to another.
0: Very true. Human nature strains that way.
1: All right. So, can you tell us about some of the more significant cases that you've investigated in New England?
2: Um, the reason why the reason why I came through initially with the uh, uh, with the uh, Chinese lantern explanations is um because there's, there's been don't uh, I'm I'm gonna give you two examples of what we've been what we've been uh, receiving. Mm-hmm. Uh one was uh was on uh twenty fourth July twenty fourth about two oh five in the morning and they um uh, someone saw a three to four orange yellow whitish objects the objects moved around in the sky forming several different shapes including a triangle and an L shape and all bunching together they probably were not sad because of the size now to me that pretty much uh, a group of Chinese lands
0: <laughs> really there you go <laughs>
2: yeah and yeah. uh and uh, the second one I have was the three satellites crossing overhead and they put a question mark on it said where and I I did some research, and that uh, the Navy has clusters of satellites. They launched, to put could up in the sky. They uh-huh. have some of flying groups of three, some of flying groups of four. As a matter, matter of fact, because, uh, I, I think that, you know, people ask, of what do you have to do as an investigator to keep on top of things? Mm-hmm. To keep, uh, keep on top of technology. hmm um There's a thing that's a Nano sail There's a solar sail that's up in space right now Okay That can be uh That can give you uh The, the appearance of uh Of a UFO Yeah Um There's also um Lockheed Martin It just developed a prototype Wimp Mm-hmm. One, one made an... <laughs> one, as matter of fact, made an unscheduled landing last month in Pennsylvania. These uh, things can go up to 32,000 feet. And yes... Yeah, well, no, wait a second. Uh Traffic went down and sends it to 32,000 feet. But this one... Uh, they normally can go up to 60,000 feet. Blimp that, uh, Lockheed Martin is, uh, is producing right
0: now. Pretty high for a blimp. hmm
2: Yeah. It's called, that the Hill d Project. Okay. I mean, uh, there are so many things going on. We're sending up so many things that we don't know about Mm-hmm. that it, is. And it's... that, that's why with a lot of the, uh, high altitude phenomena we're seeing
0: guys. these might be some of the reasons but I'm not seeing that all of the reasons yeah so what criteria do you use to determine whether something really is unidentified I mean, obviously you do you've done quite a bit of research to find out what these things might be what if you can't find out? I mean, what, how, how many? What's the percentage of your New England cases that you so say of, of the twenty something that uh, you've received this month? Or I should say, maybe last month in, in July.
3: Yeah.
0: Uh, how many? Uh, it, it, uh, what percentage do you, do you feel are really unidentified?
2: it's uh, usually about eighty to 90, Eighty to
0: ninety percent. Eighty to ninety percent are unidentified.
2: No, can be identified. Or
0: oh, are identified. I was gonna say that's quite a percentage.
2: Yeah, that, that's been the norm uh throughout uh, the It it's pretty much the yeah.
0: Case.
2: Um and a lot of times, you know, you can uh, we'll have witnesses that uh, make reports and then they feel like they've done their duty to report them and then when we try and get in contact with them, they don't want to talk to us.
4: Mm hmm. Oh, yeah. So,
2: I mean, that, I mean, with those cases, all we can do is look at what uh, they've uh, submitted as a report and make our best educated guess. Because we can't ask all the follow up questions that we, that we need to ask to uh, rule out other things. So, the only thing we can do is make an educated guess that it could have been this or it could have been that.
0: Mm hmm. I remember a case because I was I was still at the Providence Journal there uh, working there, and it was um, must have been 1988 or 1989, okay. and a large craft flew over. Uh, it was seen over Narragansett Bay, flew it was flying northwest and over Cumberland, Rhode Island. Apparently, from one of the witnesses I spoke with, right over our house, which was in the woods of Cumberland at the time, so right over our woods and then straight out over the Blackstone Valley and out um, uh, toward um, into Massachusetts and up toward Quabbin Reservoir and, that, and, and was ended, up, ended up over New York State. And people were going crazy. I don't know if you remember this or not, but it turned out that uh, it was a, a blimp, an advertising blimp that was fully illuminated but had not had the advertising logos and lettering applied to it yet. And it was flying to New York to have that done. And uh, there was a very good, my wife's best friend uh, called me and said, Oh, I know you're into the, this, this stuff. I saw right over your house and all this. And she said, "The people think I'm crazy? Well, I faxed her the uh, the AP story because I was in the newsroom with the journal and it happened to come right across my computer screen. Was it, And I said, Oh, you're not crazy, although it was not a UFO. So I could see your point that uh people could just go kind of hog wild with this stuff well, I'm, I'm, I'm hogging ben's lines here so <laughs> hog wild hog wild yeah, 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 we're, a, we're, we're thinking just like farmers tonight okay okay so, so one um
2: point to make on the on the blimp
0: thing yeah
2: yep. um, one of one of my contacts that i've developed over the over the past uh, 30 years is the um the captain that uh is the, the uh, controller for all the launches of the, all the major blimp companies in the country. So if, if I come up uh, where I feel that it might be a blimp, I'll have to do is email this guy he usually gets
0: back to me that day. No, oh, well, that makes it easier. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> but what about cases in, uh, I guess, that next part of Ben's question, what about the cases in New England that, that have been unidentified? What, what, can you give us some examples of those? Um...
2: Well, I they're, they're mostly just. Um, I mean, I have nothing, this year that's um anything extraordinary. A lot of them are right in the sky. type of things that look like satellites, but they. I, I mean, I I've had a similar, and when, when I <laughs> I've had a similar experience to what some of these are, and. I saw them myself
4: and I couldn't
2: explain it. Okay. It, yeah. it seems like a satellite. It's going regular speed as a satellite, and all of a sudden it just zips off, goes
0: zips, zips, gone. Well, one of the things that Fast-moving
2: satellite objects. I, I cannot explain them. Yeah.
0: No. Well, what, one of the. Um, and Ben and I have mentioned this before. Uh, one of the most common sightings in the Southwest is that of a triangular craft of some kind. And much has been made of the lights on it and that the lights seem to be traveling together. And people have seen it almost low to the ground and it's very silent. And There's been speculation about lighter than aircraft, etc. or alien craft. Uh, has Actually,
2: any... the big, big speculation now is a oh, um, uh, what do you call it? Like, that the military has some kind of uh, high-tech limp? Yes. True uh... yeah. That can uh, move it extra, extraordinary piece, drop on a dime, and just, so uh, yeah, i but That's what's
0: so frustrating to us. Well, has has such a craft ever been seen over New England? I know I know that the Hudson Valley sightings involved. As I understand it, some of these triangular craft are one of these uh, Hudson Valley in, over New York State. Uh, I've seen it. You, oh, that's right.
1: Yeah, I, I've
2: seen that.
0: I almost forgot. Yeah, why don't you tell us about your sighting? Oh, well,
2: God. Well, we do have them, but what's also frustrating about that is the ones that we're receiving aren't we sighted?
4: Mm-hmm. You
2: know, people are now coming up and saying, well, I never talked about this before. This happened to be back in the 70s. And, I mean, if there was any evidence of any... Way to track this down and find out information. I'm this is back in the seventies; it's all gone. Yeah, the evidence. So that's what's frustrating to us. I mean, I would think. What What can you do with a case like that?
0: I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Put
2: it in. Put it in the files and see if anything else pops up to support it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's like I can't prove that that that, that, that actually happened because it's not like there was anybody else with me, and I was in the middle of a graveyard. So <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. So yeah. What can
0: you do? So, Philip, uh, tell us some of the details. I know that I, uh, Steve's never heard the story. So. Have I told you?
1: Yeah, I told you. So yeah, yeah. He, I, he, didn't, he, I didn't give you any any details. We're was really usually
0: running about. somewhere or doing something quickly, so you did, probably didn't give me any uh, serious detail. But go ahead.
1: Well, no, I, I had uh, I t- I was taking night classes at my at the college I go to, and I was coming coming home, and I was taking like the long way home because I just felt like going for a drive, and so yeah. I. I decided, oh, well, I'm going to pull over in the cemetery. I didn't really know why. I was like, oh, that's kind of a bad idea, but for some reason I forced myself to turn, like, get off the road and then go to the cemetery where a couple of my relatives are buried. And so I was just standing there in front of my car, and I was like, why am I here? And then I looked up, and I saw three lights moving in unison, but they were, like, switching positions, but they were still staying in, like, a triangle form, and it flew over the highway that was near the um, graveyard where I was at, and then... It flew over me, then it turned like a sharp right and went towards this little town that's right near the cemetery. And I, I hadn't heard anything from it since. I hadn't heard any reports of anybody seeing anything. But I was very sure that it's not a plane because there are lots of planes around here because you, we have um, a Green Airport down over here.
0: Down yeah, over, yeah the oh, state airport, yeah.
1: Yeah we, yeah, we have the state airport where it's not that big. So you can see a plane like coming over the state, turning around, all of that. Yeah, in
0: Boston too. The the flight pat the the approach patterns uh, kind of take them over us, depending whether. Yeah, so yeah, there are a lot of. Planes.
1: Yeah, I didn't I didn't see any landing lights on it. I, I, it was too big to be a helicopter or even three helicopters. What
2: what would you estimate the altitude was?
1: The altitude, I have no idea. This was like eight o'clock at night in the middle of winter, so I, I couldn't really tell.
2: Was it high up Like an aircraft would
1: be No it was a little lower Than an aircraft would normally be Around here It was like I'd have to say Maybe About A mile and a half Like A mile and a half
2: Okay Yeah Well the the reason I asked that Is because If there was something That was like uh, Like a triangle Floating in the area uh, Right within the cemetery Uh Did did I you have the old J. Allen Hynek joke thing about the swamp gas.
3: <laughs> oh yeah,
2: yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, part of that is true because uh, in in, uh, in areas of cemeteries, uh, methane gas seeps through the seeps through the ground, and if if any type of heat ignition source is around, it can light the methane gas up and and. They call it, Willow
1: Wiz. it was it was too far away though. Like the where where it started was like two three miles away from the cemetery I was at. That, that,
2: that's exactly why I
1: asked what the distance was. Oh yeah, it was, it was that far away from me, but it was yeah, higher up. That that would rule that out. Okay. Yeah, because I was trying to think of very possible explanation, and then uh, after that happened, I was like, oh, all right. So I just got in my car and left. Hmm. Hey,
2: believe me, I'm I'm my I'm my own uh, worst critic. I had a I had a sighting about two years ago. I was sitting at a at a stoplight and the sun was behind me and I'm, I'm looking over this reservoir and I see that it looked like an egg. It looked like a white egg. And all of a sudden it dipped and disappeared.
3: Wait, and I, I-,
2: I spent three weeks I was driving myself crazy was it that I thought it. it looked like an egg and I realized I thought what traveled in that direction uh, from, from where I was to Worcester Massachusetts is the uh, the life flight helicopter what happened was I the sun was behind me and the sun was low and behind me and it reflected off of the fuselage, uh, mm. the oval shape fuselage mm-hmm. that helicopter and for a second for a few seconds it just looked like a white egg huh. now then mm-hmm. all of a sudden it
0: disappeared when it got out of the uh, angle of the sun okay all right, we're going to pause there because we're late for our break and we'll be right back on behind the paranormal with paul and ben eno on woon 1240 am and on in new england's beautiful blackstone valley and we'll be right back with our guest steve fermani stay with us Hi, this is Groove and Moose. Join me for the best mixed bag of rock music around, a weekly segment of The Beatles, too.
2: It's called The Groove Line. It's on every Thursday night from 6 to 7 p.m. That's The Groove Line right here on W-O-O-N.
3: O-N Radio, O-N Worldwide.
0: Okay, and we wanted to tell you about Amazon Kindle, the marvelous e-reader from Amazon.com. And you can literally download books, magazines, newspapers to the tune of about 900,000 of them, including four of my books. And it's uh, very, very easy to carry around. It's great for sitting on the beach in the summer. There's still plenty of summer left. <coughs> and uh, Amazon Kindle, check it out, Amazon.com. And you can get them for as low as $114. They're also on sale at Staples and several other stores. So check them out, Amazon.Kindle Amazon. reader the next step in publishing and reading.
3: Okay.
0: All right, and we are back with our guest Steve Fermani, and we're talking about some very interesting New England UFO cases. One of which Ben uh, was witness to just now, and uh, Steve is the witness
1: uh, to a few. I've seen, I've seen at least three UFOs in the last year.
0: Well, tell us about some more. Steve will tell you uh, what's all about. <laughs>
1: all right. Yeah, yeah,
3: I'm, I'm interested.
1: Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, I. This is actually kind of a funny story because um, I went to go visit uh, one of my girlfriend's friends at her college.
2: One of them.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah, and and uh, we brought my, we brought one of my friends along, and that was a very terrible decision. It ended up being a horrible night, and he made me drive him back to his college at four in the morning. So we were driving on, I think it was ninety five out of um, Newport to go, and we were going towards Fall River. And my friend and I were talking, and he looks up and he goes, "Oh, great, another thing to add to this night." And I was like, "What?" And he was like, "I just saw a UFO." Like it was, and I was like, "Are you sure?" And he was like, "Yeah." And I don't know, I I thought it was like a cell phone tower or something, or at least it could have been like, like a tower off in the distance, or whatever, whatever floats your boat, I guess, but from what I could tell, it looked like a big, like, shining light that was just going over the sky, so I thought it was a satellite, not entirely sure.
0: So this is, uh, you say, 4 o'clock in the morning? Yeah, it was 4 o'clock <clears> in the morning. Yeah, so the sun was coming up.
1: Well, no, it wasn't. The sun doesn't come till 6 during the winter.
0: Oh, that's true. Well, so what say you, Steve? Um, well, uh, what was I mean, what
2: was the azimuth? Uh, how, how high up, up over the horizon?
1: Yeah, it probably wasn't even that high up. Like, maybe, I'd have to say 500, 600 feet. So I, I thought it was just a tower in the distance. I wasn't. I wasn't really. Sure. Were you
0: on one of the bridges when this happened?
1: No, um, I was actually just going into Fall River, like you know, when you oh, go into 95. Fall River, Massachusetts.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. All
1: right. But then I had another sighting. Um, I think it was like about a month ago. I went over um, my friend's house, and my girlfriend and I were driving back to her house, and we and she looked up. And she slowed down, and she was in front of me in her car, and I was like, why is she slowing down? So I looked up, and there were these two lights just hanging in the sky, like, over us, and it was fairly low, like, I'd say probably about 50 feet away, 50 feet up from us, and like, I I thought I saw, like, a blinking light on one end of it, and I was like, no, 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 that can't (laughs) be, and my girlfriend was, like, trying to call me, but her phone died, and she was like, did you see, like, when I got back to her house, she was like, did you see that? And I was like, yeah, I don't know what it was. And she was like, it didn't look like a helicopter or a plane. It just was hanging there in the sky. And I was just like, wow, that's... It, it was weird. Like, I, I can't sound really... Or anything? No, not not even a sound. And my radio doesn't work, so I couldn't tell if the radio was getting messed up or not.
2: Yeah.
1: Huh. They're I on your
0: trail, Ben. Yeah, I know. They're after no, me.
2: I mean, there's no end to what, uh... Any possibility, if you think about it. Um... Because uh, now I'm, I'm I'm not here to tell uh tell people what they are. I'm I'm here to rule out what the possibilities are. And and from what you told me, I, I you know I, I would have to uh, investigate a little bit more. you know,
4: mm-hmm, on Yeah.
2: Yeah. To uh, to really come up with a rational answer or come up come up as that
0: yeah, I don't. I don't have Ben's luck when it comes to seeing UFOs. Uh, let me remind everybody too. Uh, you can call in to the show today at seven six six twelve forty one two four zero in the local area area code four zero one. Also, uh, nationally eight hundred four four nine one two four zero. Well, it's okay.
1: also it's also hard to tell because it's like, every time I do this, it's always really late at night or really early in the morning. Like this sighting was like one in the morning and. Like, I'm always out in, like, random times of the night, so I always see, like, all these weird things. And I do have, as my dad said, I do have really good luck or bad luck, whatever you want to bestow upon this. But I, I have the luck that I have to see all this stuff, and I'm just like, I don't want to see this. But I put up with it <laughs> anyway.
0: And yeah, we, we make him buy all the lottery tickets in the family. I did win. <laughs> and, I know, yeah. I
2: That's so, pretty much it. If you won.
0: Yeah. yeah. I did. I, I won a dollar. But. <laughs> Hey, it's better it's better You've been than nothing.
2: To having taken that out, you know? Oh, yeah, exactly.
0: exactly. <laughs> so my my only uh, as far as I can looking all the way back, my only experience was just uh, flying over Phoenix. Ben was on the other side of the plane. What Didn't about when
1: it? you and John were driving somewhere. You were driving somewhere. I don't remember where you were going, but you said you saw you saw one. Oh you yeah, were well trying there to are some straight Well, were trying he, to follow he thought it. he did.
0: He thought he did. Yeah. Oh, well. And uh well, you know, I, and I wanted to ask you, Steve, your opinion on this. Well, just to, you know, just to finish what I was saying, the Phoenix Lights, of course, the being the uh-huh. Phoenix, Arizona, the very famous uh, lights that were seen, uh, particularly yeah. about what ten years ago, I guess, ten or twelve years ago, but do occasionally um, turn up. And we were flying uh, to San Diego to do a, to, from Atlanta to do a program there, and we happened to be flying over Phoenix, middle of the night, and I happened to look out the window, and uh, there were these row of lights um, that were below us but obviously somewhat above the city or actually the mountains next to the city and you know I've done my time in the military I know what a flare looks like and these were not flares Uh, one of them separated one of them appeared to land Uh, I would say they were perhaps 10 to 12,000 feet high although that's very difficult to judge as you know and of course we flew on towards San Diego and I lost sight of them but it was really strange one or two more appeared one or two disappeared. It was uh, quite remarkable, actually. And uh, when we got to San Diego, we saw in the paper the next day that the Phoenix Lights had been reported that previous evening. So there we were. I, uh, apparently, so that's my only story about UFOs.
2: Well, uh, actually, the uh, if you go on to uh, Bruce Maccabee's website,
0: yeah, we know Bruce. Yeah, uh, he he has an
2: interesting analysis on, the, uh, on Phoenix Lights. Mm-hmm because they did they did uh, analysis of the uh, the original video of the, yes.
0: of the light. Oh yes yeah
2: and they uh, analyzed them and, and felt that they uh, that these were dropping behind behind the mountain range because they were disappearing at the same rate that a flare would as they were reaching the little peaks and everything in the mountain range
4: mm-hmm. uh,
2: but I'm not I'm not saying that uh, the triangular craft that people saw there had anything to do with the cliff what I'm saying is just because people are seeing triangular craft doesn't mean military operations
0: mm-hmm. well one so thing I wanted to
2: combination of both.
0: yeah perhaps one thing I wanted to that you mentioned I found very interesting and, and uh, you and Ben went during your conversation about the sighting from the cemetery we were, I wish I could remember the gentleman's name, but he was one of the speakers at the uh, Parkersburg, West Virginia, UFO, or, or rather, Paranormal Conference, which embraced all areas of the paranormal. And he was, uh, I don't know if you remember this, Ben, you were pretty young, but uh, the fellow I was had... I like nine. Yeah, you, you had, There was the gentleman was speaking about UFOs, and he had a drawing of a cemetery with uh, sightings over this particular cemetery that a number of people had reported, especially after there had been a burial like the day before or something. And he um, sort of tongue-in-cheek speculated that maybe the UFO was uh, taking the guy to the hereafter or something like that, which I thought was something of a stretch, needlessness. But uh, he did point out that there are a lot of sightings when people are in cemeteries of UFOs. And you yourself mentioned methane. Uh, Do you find that in New England, that that, uh, some of the reports you get are from people... Who are visiting cemeteries or going well, by cemeteries?
2: compounds now. It's all the paranormal investigations So a lot of times it's hard to figure out whether something's paranormal or uh, alien.
0: Very true. Very true. Well, especially you now. You have to
2: be careful with that. Yeah, especially now. If
0: people are seeing more and more of these orbs as opposed to metallic craft. How do you exactly. tell the difference? Yeah.
2: Usually when I someone sends me an orb case, uh, I, I, I asked him, well, before I can investigate this case, I, I think you'd be uh, better off uh, going to a paranormal investigation team to have them, uh, say whether, whether it's paranormal or not and then we can
0: go from there. Yeah, Which raises the question, what are orbs in the paranormal sense? And Exactly. Uh, there are a number of different explanations. People sometimes go get pretty excited about them and then it could be nothing. But uh, another thing, too, and, and Ben's case, uh, his, his other case of the uh, early wee hours of the morning sighting there, um, sort of point this out, the affinity between UFOs and water yeah. in some cases. And I was going to ask you of... Of the cases you hear about in New England, do you have people telling you that, as in other areas, that, that UFOs are coming up out of or going into the water, whether it be a reservoir or the ocean or whatever? Yeah, like in Shag uh, Harbor. Shag right? Harbor kind uh, of thing.
2: But UFOs are, are very
0: rare.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, they're very rare, as he said. Well, they hey, are, yeah. You
0: are yeah. talking over
2: him.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah the audio isn't perfect. <clears throat> but I mean, I'm thinking in terms of the Shag Harbor incident in Nova Scotia,
2: Oh, that was an interesting case. Yeah, I mean that that was probably the
0: biggest uh, <laughs> U.S.O. case in uh, the Oh, certainly, definitely. And, and as a matter of fact, we have uh, my my grandmother's, Ben's great grandmother's people are from that area, and mm. uh, you know, Shag Harbor and Shelburne, that, that business. But it was uh, that was quite a quite a case. Uh, I believe it was what uh, was it in the 1960s, 67,
1: 68? Yeah. Well, yeah. oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Well, there are a lot of USO sightings like down in like the Caribbean, yeah, in pla- yeah. places like that, and I guess, well, I guess we're not very lucky up here. Maybe it has to do with how big the harbor is or whatever, or I
0: don't know. Well, you were right there uh, near Narragansett Bay, which is a pretty good size, yeah. But well, we're thinking in terms too of the uh, Caribbean. Is right. We had a uh, one of our questions, uh, contest questions uh, a couple of months ago was had to do with a, a official of the government of Puerto Rico who was sitting on his porch one day overlooking the uh, um, Mona Passage and all sorts of UFOs were coming and going and he was uh, somewhat surprised and his relatives all saw it too. So, <coughs> excuse me. The the affinity between UFOs and water was first pointed out, I believe, by uh, Ivan Sanderson. Back in the '60s and '70s, he was a marine biologist who turned UFO hunter and kind of paranormal guy, and he's yeah, considered. He kind
2: of spread out, I think. You, you get the most out in the, out off the coast out of California. Oh, right. Oh, that's oh, yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, the yeah.
2: Most,
0: the, uh, yeah. Well, this led to all kinds of speculation about secret bases under the water and all this business. I mean, it's, you know, we, as, as you say, we really don't know what these things are. Well,
2: anything's possible. If they yeah, it's it. true. They can make bases on the East Coast and make bases on the West Coast. Who, who knows if they don't have the ability to uh, go underwater and drill tunnels under the earth and go from the East Coast to the West Coast underneath the earth? Yeah.
0: Well, uh, th- there's speculation about that as well. I suppose, as you say, anything is possible. Now, just getting back to uh, New England and, and your, your work, about how many UFO reports come to MUFON from New England each year, would you say? You mentioned twenty something just in July alone. I, I
2: think it's only about three three
0: fifty. Really, three three hundred to three hundred fifty. Uh, that's pretty remarkable. Wow. And as you say, about um, ten to twenty percent maybe proved to be difficult to explain. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Now, what was the story with the uh, was it the Marianne Shannonfield case in Western Massachusetts?
2: Marianne yeah. What
0: was that all about?
2: Oh, well, she, um, uh, this is back when I was, uh, first the uh, blue line in Massachusetts. And, uh, I this, this woman, uh, called me. I said, you know, I, I had a UFO sighting. I've been having UFO experiences, and, uh, I can't explain them. I, I have things that have happened. Uh, this, this, the strange part of the whole thing was This woman Had macular degeneration So she Was legally blind oh. About 99% blind oh. Put it that way And She could see Electrical impulses though hmm. Like if she was looking at a refrigerator She could see the electrical impulses
0: Oh that's interesting
2: of these things. And this all happened to her. She wasn't born blind. As a little girl, she was supposedly had a UFO experience and was abducted. When she came back from this experience, that's when her eyesight started uh, going downhill.
0: Okay. Well,
1: does she have, like, any cuts on her or anything? Or any sort of burns? or don't uh,
2: know, because of most of the... Uh, things that happened when she was a
1: little girl. Really? No scars or anything?
2: And when she, uh, when I first started the case, she was married. Oh, okay. Uh, all right. So hey, it was a long time ago. Yeah. Mm. It was up in Springfield on uh,
0: Agawam, Springfield
2: Matthews.
0: Oh, all right. Mm-hmm. Well, well, there are a lot of questions I had uh, in mind too. I suppose uh, there's room, or, room for one or two more. uh I've always wondered, when UFOs appear over cities, I'm thinking particularly of Bud Hopkins' mm-hmm. latest book. Uh, Bud Hopkins, of course, for those who don't know him, is the uh, a major expert in UFO abductions, and he uh, is kind of advancing in years, and you don't see too much of him lately. Uh, he, yeah,
2: Bud's been under the weather.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we saw him at the... well. Uh, yeah. We saw him at the uh, this this same conference in... West Virginia. That this fellow was talking about cemeteries, uh, and uh, we sat down. And, yeah, we sat down, and we found a few minutes to ourselves. And he showed me an album of of marks and gouges and scars, such as Ben was referring to, uh, from people who had allegedly been abducted. And I was ma- immediately struck by how similar these marks were to some things you see in poltergeist cases. Uh, Where people are victims of this, and uh, you often wonder, as we said earlier, what exactly are we dealing with here? Is it alien, or is it, you know, uh, ghostly, if you want to use the term, or both, or or what?
2: What kind of of marks are we talking about? We're not
0: not talking about scoop marks. Uh, Sometimes there are scoop marks. Yeah, yeah.
2: Because I, I had taken a witness to a dermatologist, and the witness had. Salt loop and I had taken the uh, taken the witness down to a dermatologist, and
0: loop mats
2: were that those are normal, with the normal uh, function
0: of the epidermis. Really,
2: mm-hmm.
0: okay. Well, again, uh, you know, it's, uh, you do have to have other experts come in at, uh, on these things, such as as you say, dermatologists. Now, w- one thing I have wondered uh, was in, in Bud's last book, uh, which I wasn't prepared to talk about so I don't know the title offhand, but involved a witness, uh, an abduction that took place in the middle of New York City, in a residential area of uh, Manhattan, that was supposedly witnessed by some very big cheese from the U.N. and a number of people, and who literally saw this woman being taken out... What, in New York? What, I'm sorry?
2: On a bridge in New York.
0: Yeah, that one, and uh, she was allegedly seen by a number of people literally being taken out of her window and up into a craft...
2: She was actually. This is how the how the case goes. She was actually, person one of the people that witnessed it was the UN representative.
0: That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Supposedly, uh, somebody very very high up in the uh, either in the Security uh, Council exactly. or in the General Secretariat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that's uh, but, uh, that, that's uh, his last book. And um, my question is when when how come the whole city didn't see this? I mean, you got a thing floating over this apartment complex in Manhattan. Well, it was
2: like 2-3 in the morning.
0: Well, that's true, too. And it wasn't yesterday, either. This wasn't is
2: not a lot of traffic at
0: the time. Okay. Yeah, even in New York, there I suppose there isn't... Especially at that time, there wasn't much traffic. Going across
2: the bridge, it was kind of... <clears> you know, uh, kind of a... Uh, going from one, one section
0: in New York to the other. Yeah. So you think that's just the explanation why people just... Don't, well, some of these things take place in uh, more... Uh, uh, I suppose uh, reasonable hours of the well, day. Well, also and the night.
1: bystander effect too. It's yeah, yeah, like if people just don't report it because they don't. It's like that uh, that murder with that woman who got like stabbed like ten times, and people were just like they didn't do anything. It, it took them two hours to call the cops. Oh dear. Yeah, it's like that.
0: Well, wasn't there? Everyone's
2: involved, a... and most most people they see something, they say, "Well, nobody's going to believe me anyway."
0: Or they say, "Well, it's one of those things." Well, didn't didn't a mass sighting take place over London like two months ago?
2: Oh yeah, there's this stuff going on all over the place. I mean, these mass sightings. uh, You know, uh, I I get things on on those uh, in the Academy of Ufology all the time. Yeah, people are. I mean, European countries have a lot situations like that. Well, one a lot of people seeing.
0: Yeah, well, another New England case or or semi-New England case because it it was part of the Hudson Valley sightings, uh, as as I recall. There was I I spoke with one of the witnesses to that about a year ago or maybe two years ago, and he said that he felt what what happened to him is that he was the sightings were going. Everybody knew about them. He was coming home from work. I guess he was in southwestern Connecticut, and he drove into his driveway, and it was uh, winter, and it was the sun was setting. It was kind of dusk. But yet it was still light enough for him to see. So he got out of his car and he happened to look up and there was a disc-shaped light hovering over one of his neighbor's houses. It was was about maybe 200 feet in the air, but it wasn't very far away at all. And he said he um, began to walk and it kind of uh, came a little closer. And his whole experience was he wasn't frightened, he wasn't anxious about it. What he he was feeling was that he felt singled out and he felt as though, and the, the, his words, he said, I felt as though I was being tested, unquote. Wasn't that a funny way to put that? Have you ever heard anything like that before?
2: Well, you know, people, different people can explain their, uh, their experiences differently.
3: Uh-huh.
2: It's, human, it's human nature. Uh, if I explain something to you and you explain the same thing to me, we can uh, come up with probably different ways uh, of explaining it.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: So you really have to um, know how to uh, take things into context. Between, I mean, I've, I've, I've actually started getting interested in the um, just just for that purpose. I started getting interesting interested in in the way people talk in New England. Uh, people in Vermont, people in Massachusetts, people in Connecticut, Rhode mm-hmm. Island yeah, there's a difference. everybody says
0: things differently They're, yeah they do they do I'm, I'm going to stop you right there, Steve, because we we're, we're down to our last few minutes and I want to give you a chance to talk about the uh, Exeter UFO Festival coming up on Labor Day weekend
2: Okay, okay, great uh, but you know we we're, we're gonna have a lot of fun September third uh, I mean we got best line lineup of speakers we've ever had. Uh, Stan Friedman. Mm-hmm. Uh Kathy Martin. Uh <laughs> Richard Dolan. That's the first to have Richard Dolan here.
0: Yeah, that's good. We don't know him.
2: Uh Richard Richards uh I mean he, he does uh written a few books on uh what what do you do after disclosure?
0: Oh well we know who he is, we just don't know him personally.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. uh well but I have never met Richard myself. Uh uh-huh. this is gonna be a great opportunity for me to Me to meet him and speak with him. It just it. I'm 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 ecstatic. I'm I'm excited about about this. Uh, I mean, to be even invited to speak with uh, people of this quality Mm is I'm. I'm, I can't wait.
0: So it's a. So it's it's a a real fun event. I remember uh, Ben and I went last year, and we were uh, you know the whole town is involved, and uh, the the merchants get involved, and.
2: hopefully we have uh, have more luck with your
0: equipment this year right? <laughs> yeah well Ben and I plan to be there and our, our little uh, we're going to have a podcast booth. unfortunately uh, the hours aren't such that we uh, I wish it were Sunday night we could do a live CBS broadcast from there but uh, mm-hmm. but yeah. uh, we'll, we'll be doing a podcast and so come and meet us uh, there you can meet Steve and meet us and all these uh, uh, major figures in the UFO community and oh, we, uh,
2: we also have um, uh, Jen and Jeff Ben, who are uh, uh, I, I was interviewed by them last year, right after the uh, Exeter Festival. They're originally from Boston. their husband and wife team mm-hmm. doing a documentary called Strange Septembers. Oh, yes. At the Exeter Festival, this will be the first ever showing of this documentary. Oh,
0: that'll be great.
2: And I'm, I'm really excited. Jen Finn is also a, um, a, a, a computer website designer. Mm-hmm. She is offered to do the New England Move On website, to redesign it and and uh, and run it for, for us for, uh, at no charge.
0: Excellent. Steve, I'm afraid we're flat out yep. of time. But uh, thank you very much. We're going to be promoting the festival at uh, ExeterUFOFestival.com. And thank you so much, Steve. We'll be talking to you soon.
2: Hey, I'm, I'll be looking forward to seeing you guys.
0: Very good. Thank you. Okay. Take care. You too. So, many thanks to our producer, the much-revered Steve Bianchi. We'll see you right here next Monday, August 8th, when Ben and I will welcome back the great novelist and Mayan expert, D'Erlon, for a look at 2012 and beyond.
1: All right, in the meantime, tune into our live Sunday evening CBS Radio Edition in Boston, Pittsburgh, De- Detroit, and Seattle on www.newskyradio.com and your AOL radio app if you have an iPhone. On August 7th, my dad and I will host an open line show to catch up on our ever-growing emails to answer your questions.
0: Okay, and uh, remember, uh, we'll have to uh, check out BehindTheParanormal.com for podcasts. We'll leave you this evening with a thought from the 20th century American novelist and poet William S. Burroughs. Quote, After one look at this planet, any visitor from outer space would say, I want to see the manager. Unquote.
1: Thanks for joining us on A Great Cosmic Journey, and we'll see you next time.
0: Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben
3: Eno.